This is the day the Lord has made. Let's rejoice and be glad in it. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. I would rather be a doorkeeper in the house of my God than dwell in the tent of the wicked. Make me to know your ways, O Lord. Teach me your paths. Sanctify us in your truth. Your word is truth. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. Glory be to the Father, and to the Son, and to the Holy Spirit, as it was in the beginning, is now, and will be forever. Amen. The Old Testament lesson for this, the 15th Sunday after Pentecost, is from the book of Genesis, the 50th chapter. Those of you who may be familiar with Joseph's story know that Joseph had a very hard life. He was loved by his father, rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused falsely of unethical behavior, imprisoned where he languished for a time, but then he ascended to being the second most powerful man in Egypt. Later on, his brothers who had sold him into slavery are reunited with Joseph. And after Joseph's father, father's die, dies, Jacob dies, his brothers are fearful that maybe Joseph will take revenge on them. And this is where this passage picks up. When Joseph's brothers saw that their father, Jacob, was dead, they said, It may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. And so they sent a message to Joseph, saying, Your father gave this command before he died. Say to Joseph, Please forgive the transgression of your brothers and their sin, because they did evil to you. And now, please forgive the transgression of the servants of the God of your father. Joseph wept. He wept when they spoke to him. His brothers also came and fell down before him and said, Behold, we are your servants. But Joseph said to them, Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. So do not fear. I will provide for you and your little ones. And thus he comforted them and spoke kindly to them. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The epistle lesson appointed for this Sunday is from Romans chapter 14. As for the one who is weak in faith, welcome him, but not to quarrel over opinions. One person believes he may eat anything, while the weak person eats only vegetables. Let not the one who eats despise the one who abstains, and let not the one who abstains pass judgment on the one who eats, for God has welcomed him. Who are you? to pass judgment on the servant of another. It is before his own master that he stands or fails or falls, and he will be upheld, for the Lord is able to make him stand. One person esteems one day as better than the other, while another esteems all days alike. Each one should be fully convinced in his own mind. The one who observes the day observes it in honor of the Lord. The one who eats, eats in honor of the Lord, since he gives thanks to God. 
while the other one who abstains, abstains in honor of the Lord and gives thanks to God. For none of us lives to himself and none of us dies to himself. If we live, we live to the Lord, and if we die, we die to the Lord. So then whether we live or whether we die, we are the Lord's. For to this end Christ died and lived again, that he might be Lord both of the dead and of the living. Why do you pass judgment on your brother? Or you, why do you despise your brother? For we will all stand before the judgment seat of God. For it is written, As I live, says the Lord, every knee shall bow to me, and every tongue shall confess to God. So then each of us will give an account of himself to God. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. The Holy Gospel appointed for this Sunday is from Matthew 18, beginning of verse 21. And in this text, Jesus addresses the question, How many times must I forgive my brother who sins against me? Peter actually thinks he's being quite generous when he says, Seven times? (laughs) And Jesus has to remind him, No, 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 70 times, seven times, meaning you just keep on forgiving. So, Matthew 18. Peter came up and said to Jesus, Lord, how often will my brother sin against me and I forgive him? As many as seven times? And Jesus said to him, I do not say to you seven times, but seventy times seven. Therefore the kingdom of heaven may be compared to a king who wished to settle accounts with his servants. When he began to settle, one was brought to him who owed him ten thousand talents. And since he could not pay, his master ordered him to be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and payment to be made. So the servant fell on his knees, imploring him, Have patience with me and I will pay you everything. And out of pity for him, the master of that servant released him and forgave him the debt. But when that same servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him a hundred denarii. And seizing him, he began to choke him, saying, Pay what you owe. And so his fellow servant fell down and pleaded with him, Have patience with me, and I will pay you. But he refused, and he went and put him in prison until he should pay the debt. When his fellow servants saw what had taken place, they were greatly distressed, and they went and reported to the master all that had taken place. And then his master summoned him and said to him, You wicked servant! I forgave you all that debt because you pleaded with me. And should not you have had mercy on your fellow servant as I have had mercy on you? And in his anger, his master delivered him to the jailers until he should pay all his debt. So also my heavenly Father will do to every one of you if you do not forgive your brother from your heart. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, grace, mercy, and peace be to you from God our Father and our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Amen. The text for this morning's message as we look at ancient hymns of the faith is Psalm 103. And today we're going to focus especially on verses 1 through 14. And in your bulletin, you'll see that there is a responsive reading of this text. And so I invite you to read responsibly responsibly with me. 
Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Who forgives all your iniquity, who heals all your diseases, who redeems your life from the pit, who crowns you with steadfast love and mercy, who satisfies you with good so that your youth is renewed like the eagles. The Lord works righteousness and justice for all who are oppressed. He made known his ways to Moses, his acts to the people of Israel. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love. He will not always chide, nor will he keep his anger forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins, nor repay us according to our iniquities. For as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. And as a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame and remembers that we are dust. This is our text. In the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, dear fellow believers in him. This ancient hymn of faith, Psalm 103, serves as an addendum, in some ways, to the psalm that we looked at last week, Psalm 32. In Psalm 32, King David reminded us that genuine happiness is directly connected to God's benevolence, and more specifically, to God's forgiveness of our sins, of God covering over our transgressions, of God refusing to keep a record of the sins that we have committed against him. We heard in Psalm 32 that genuine happiness is connected to us being honest about ourselves, of openly confessing our sins before God, of of taking out the trash, if you will, so that we might ultimately stand before the cross of Christ and recognize that Jesus is our Savior and and trust in Him as the one who died for our sins, taking upon our sins upon Himself and bearing the punishment of that sin for us. Unless we recognize the depth of our own sin, we won't really recognize the, the depth of God's love for us in Christ. And King David reminded us that genuine happiness is connected to the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. That death has been vanquished with Jesus' defeat of death, with his resurrection from the dead and his ascension into the glories of heaven. And so we know as his followers that there's nothing in all of creation that that can separate us from him, not even death itself. And so no matter what it is that we're experiencing in life, we still can experience genuine happiness because our happiness is connected to the Lord and his love and his forgiveness for us. And that is why this psalm in some ways serves as an addendum to Psalm 32 because this psalm, 103, breaks out with praise. I mean, how else can we respond to God's goodness and grace and forgiveness, his glory, without without praise? And so he says, bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. Through God's word, we see God's glory and we see his grace. 
we see the past benefits and wonders. We, we see God's present mercies in our life, and we see God's grace in the future promises that He has made to us, that He will fulfill. But even as we praise God, there's always a sense of shortfall between our perception of God's greatness and grace and glory and our affection in worshiping Him. The intensity and the equipment of our heart never seems to be up to what God deserves. And that's why one of the most common impulses of genuine worship is to plead with our soul. Bless the Lord, O my soul. Praise Him, O my soul. Come on, soul. Where are you? Why do you sleep before such a God? Why are you so dull and sluggish? Wake up and look at what God has done for you. Look at what He is like. A part of us seems to respond. And we begin to feel and respond to God's benefits with praise and adoration and glory. But part of us doesn't. And so we preach to ourselves like David does in this psalm. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and all that is within me. Bless His holy name. David pleads, all that is in me. Bless this Lord. He is worthy. He is deserving. Not just a part of me. Not just a portion of me. Not even just 90% of me, but 100% of me. You see, genuine worship is always conscious that our response to God is only partial. And we're not content with partial worship of God. Forget not all his benefits, David says to himself and to us. And yet, are we not prone to forget the benevolent ways of our Lord. And hence the reason the psalmist urges himself and us, O David, O Glenn, O fill in your name, forget not the benefits of God. He is worthy of our praise and adoration. Someone has said, there is an eagle in me that wants to soar. And there's a hippopotamus in me that wants to wallow in the mud. I think that saying aptly describes what David is trying to say in our text today. There's an eagle in me that wants to soar and worship and glorify God, and yet there's this hippopotamus in me that just wants to play around in the muck and the dirt and have all these reasons of not to worship and praise Him. And so what is it that causes us to to not worship God or to forget His benefits or to not give Him our whole heart. Well, of course, we can always reduce everything down to our sin. And certainly before the fall, there was this perfect worship that Adam and Eve had of God. And since their sin, their disobedience of God, worship of God has always been incomplete, including our own worship, because our sin acts as a barrier between God and us. Other things that serve as barriers and they grow out of this sin is really our neglect of God's Word. We aren't always filling our brains, our minds, our hearts with the wonderful promises that God has made to us in His Word. 
We go day by day, and oftentimes we don't even think about our baptism in which God, our Father, adopted us into his family and granted us all these wonderful treasures of forgiveness and the promise of, of an eternal richness in heaven. We are often very infrequent in attendance at the Lord's Supper, and we don't partake of the very body and blood of Christ that was given and shed for us. And we place a low priority on worship. It's the kind of thing that we kind of put into our schedule if there's time, as opposed to making it the first priority of our day, of our life. And when I say worship, I just don't mean what we do on Sunday, but the worship that we do each and every day. And so as we neglect worship, other things flood into our minds, worries, fears, activities of the day, and we forget the benefits of God. And then, of course, there's always the shame and the guilt that we deal with. The shame and the guilt that we have of sins committed in the past or maybe sins that we're currently finding ourselves in. And they kind of elbow God's benefits out of our life. And and we're so overcome by our shame and our guilt that that we, we, we can't even comprehend that there's a God who loves and forgives us. And then, of course, there's always the self-pity and resentments that we harbor in our heart that creates bitterness, not just against other people, but even bitterness and anger towards God. And that tends to have us forget the benefits of God as well. And then there's just fatigue. We get tired, don't we? Whether it's because of chronic illness or just lack of sleep. I mean... I remember as a young person, I sometimes worked late into the evening, didn't get home till 2 or 3 in the morning. The last thing I wanted to do was get up and go to church on that Sunday morning. And yet I dragged myself out of the bed because my, my parents often encouraged me to come. And so I'd go, and boy, it was difficult to focus. But that's how our whole life can be, can't it? We can get so on the treadmill of life that we're just exhausted, And in that exhaustion and fatigue, we forget the benefits of God. And then, of course, there's always the what-have-you-done-for-me-lately syndrome. We're always expecting God to do something for us and do it the way we want. And when he doesn't, it's like, oh, God, you failed me once again. We don't reach our our goals and objectives in life. We go, oh, God, you forget you didn't follow through again. And that kind of frustration causes us to forget that God is really blessing us each and every day. And I could go on. I mean, what is it for you? What is it that causes you to give only God a partial part of your heart of worship? What is it that causes you to forget the benefits that God bestows upon you day by day? What causes you to be more like the hippo than the soaring spirit, the soaring eagle? In our Old Testament lesson for this morning, we we heard of Joseph. If there was ever a person who had occasion to forget God's benefits, it was Joseph. As I said, as I introduced that Old Testament reading, Joseph was loved by his father, Jacob, but despised and rejected by his brothers. So much so that his brothers sold Joseph into slavery. And then after Joseph was sold into slavery, he was serving in the household of Pontifus, and, and there he was falsely accused for scandalous behavior, which resulted in him being put in jail where he lingered for some time. But eventually, Joseph became the second most powerful man in all of Egypt. And in that position, he was able to save tens of thousands of lives from famine and starvation. And he even had the opportunity to save his own brothers. 
Eventually, as that story goes, Joseph and his brothers are reunited. And then his father, Jacob, dies. And as we heard in the Old Testament lesson, his brothers are afraid. They're afraid for themselves and their families, thinking that Joseph is now going to take revenge on them for the evil that they had perpetrated against him. And they come to Joseph and they say, or they think, it may be that Joseph will hate us and pay us back for all the evil that we did to him. But Joseph, how does he respond? Do not fear, for am I in the place of God? As for you, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good. He meant it for good to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. I'm sure if we were to have sat with Joseph in that pit where his brothers threw him, and if we had sat with him in jail where he had been sitting because he was falsely accused of something he didn't do, we might have, like Joseph, forgotten the benefits of God. We might have even had some self-pity, anger, maybe guilt, any number of things that would have caused us to forget the benefits of God and even shake our fists at him and say, God, where are you? And I'm sure Joseph did go through those moments. But as he looks back now, as we hear in our text, he sees God's goodness. He sees the benefits of God, even in the midst of being rejected by his brothers, sold into slavery, accused falsely, put in jail. He sees God's benefit to all of that. He sees how God used those circumstances of his life to bring about good so that he was in a position to be able to save literally hundreds of thousands of lives. And that's what he says to his brothers. You meant it for evil. God meant it for good. That was an act of worship, wasn't it? Recognizing the goodness of God even in the midst of those problems. You know, we all deal with pain and hurt in our lives. As I mentioned before, there's all kinds of reasons why we can forget the benefits of God. But David, in this ancient hymn of faith, enumerates some of the benefits God gives to us. Just look at that text. It, it says in verse 3, God forgives all our iniquities. He forgives you. He forgives me for the sake of Jesus Christ of all of our sins. As we heard, he remembers it no more, and I'll talk more about that in a few moments. He heals all of our diseases eventually. Well, I know many of you who I'm talking to are dealing with all kinds of chronic illnesses and serious, serious illnesses, uh, whether it's physical, mental, whatever. And those are things that you may be plagued with all the days of your life here on earth, but God promises that he heals all of our diseases. And he redeems our life from the pit, David says in verse 4. In other words, he saves us from death. Indeed, Jesus Christ rose from the dead, and he's promised that everyone who believes in him as their Savior will be triumphant over the grave, and that we will experience the glories of life everlasting in his presence. And he crowns us, David says, with steadfast love and mercy. There's something of dignity, isn't there, to think that God places upon our head a throne, a crown. And that throne and crown is his love and compassion. And he satisfies us with good things so that our youth is renewed like that of an eagle. 
And David says he ultimately, God ultimately vindicates us. Oh, we may go through life where people will ridicule us for our beliefs, reject us because we follow Jesus Christ. But in the end, we're going to be vindicated. We're going to stand before our Lord and we're going to see him with our own eyes. And we're going to see that all that he said and all that he has promised to us is true. Those are just some of the benefits that David focuses on. He focuses on others throughout this psalm as well, but these are the the key and the core ones as they focus in on God's grace and mercy. And, And David then summarizes God's nature. He says, The Lord is merciful and gracious. He is slow to anger, and He abounds, abounds in steadfast love for you and for me. It's really impossible to improve on this description of God's nature but here are some responses of third and fourth, fourth graders who gave, that they gave when they were asked this question about God's nature. And I like their responses because in many ways they take these concepts of God's mercy and grace and being slow to anger and abounding in love, they kind of bring it down to maybe into ways of life that we can really understand. But one child, third or fourth grader, was asked, well, how do you complete this sentence? By faith, I know that God is what? By faith, I know that God is forgiving, one child wrote. Because he forgave in the Bible and he forgave me when I went in the road on my bike without one of my parents. By faith, I know that God is providing, providing me full. Providing me full, yes. Because he dropped mama, manna from the sky for Moses and the people, and he gave my dad a job. By faith, I know that God is caring because he made a blind man see, and he made me catch a very fast line drive that would have hurt me. He probably sent an angel down. By faith, I know that God is merciful because my brother's been nice to me for more than a year. I think we can relate to that one. Not, 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 not speaking about my own brother, my brother and I. We love each other dearly. By faith, I know that God is faithful because the school bill came and my mom didn't know how we were going to pay it. And two minutes later, my dad called and he had just received a bonus check. My mom was in tears. By faith, I know that God is sweet because he gave me a dog. And he also tells me not to do things that are bad. And I need someone like that in my life. And these are just some ways that fourth and third and fourth graders look at God's character, his, his nature. And they describe that God is merciful and gracious, slow to anger, and abounding in steadfast love. Because God is this way, David says he will not always chide. And yes, God does chide us from time to time. Nor will he harbor his anger forever. Yes, God becomes angry with us because we disobey him. But he's not going to hold this anger against us forever. He does not deal with us according to our sins. Yes, as we've heard, he doesn't keep track of the sins that we commit and then we'll hold them before our eyes on that last day and say, well, well, oh, no. And nor does he repay us according to our iniquities. Oh, we deserve God's wrath. We deserve to be put in the corner, so to speak. We deserve to be punished for all eternity. 
God isn't that way. God forgives us of our sin. He remembers it no more. And in fact, because of Christ's death for us, we're received into fellowship with him. As we focus on those benefits and on God's character, doesn't it just fill your soul, your mouth, your heart with, bless the Lord, O my soul. All that is in me, bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul, and forget not all his benefits. David continues on with three illustrations. He says, as high, three illustrations that, that reflect this mercy and grace of God. He says, as high as the heavens are above the earth, so great is his steadfast love toward those who fear him or revere him. In those words, the psalmist attempts to kind of describe or picture the size of the extent of God's love for us. And he, asks, and he says, you know, as high as the heavens are above the earth. And so I wonder, how, how high is that? So I googled it. I asked the question of Google. I typed it in. How high are the heavens above the earth? Answer. Well, that's what it said. Well, if you go by today's understanding of the heavens, meaning the totality of the universe outside earth, they are approximately 46 billion light years higher. In fact, the heavens are so high above the earth that human beings cannot possibly see everything in them. 46 billion light years higher. I took that to mean that when the psalmist says that his steadfast love is higher than the heavens from the earth, that that must mean that God is saying that he really loves us a lot. Like we can't even begin to comprehend the love that God has for us, and he pours this out upon us day by day. And as far as the east is from the west, so far does he remove our transgressions from us. A preacher, I think it was maybe even Robert Schuller, observed, look at a globe. Our understanding of geography tells us that if we run our finger along the equator, we will keep going east. East, 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 east. We're just always going east. Unless we suddenly change directions and we pivot our finger and go the opposite direction. And God tells us that he has removed our transgressions from us as far as the east is from the west. And that implies that he has removed our sins forever from us. It's like he's saying, I remember your sins no more. And what a comfort that is. What a relief it is. And then the third illustration. As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. For he knows our frame. He remembers that we are dust. When I read these words and was studying it, I couldn't help but think about when I was a child, and maybe you can too. Think about yourself being that child and You were frightened by a bad dream, or maybe you skinned your knee, or something that you really treasured was broken or lost. And in that moment, your mom or your dad, they gathered you up into their arms, and you felt their warmth, you felt their strength, you recognized that in their arms you were protected, and maybe they whispered or they hummed or they sung in your ear, and you were comforted. That's what the psalmist is describing here. That's what the psalmist is describing here. 
It's like God our Father takes us into his loving arms when we're frightened, when we're hurt, when we're whatever, feeling abandoned, whatever it might be, when we're feeling guilt and shame, and he, he takes us into his loving arms and, and he assures us of his protection. He assures us of his love. And he just hums, if you will, in our ear. He hums in our ears those beautiful hymns of faith that we've learned over the years that assure us of his compassion. He hums in us in our ears the word of God. He hums in our ears that we are his child. And we live in that security. Yes, bless the Lord, O my soul. Oh, that is in me. Bless his holy name. Bless the Lord, O my soul. And forget not all his benefits.